Would you remain standing for a moment longer and turn to Luke chapter 1? The first uh, chapter of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 39 through verse 56 as we prepare for our first uh, Advent message of this year. So Luke 1, starting at verse 39. This is the word of our Lord. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you speak to us, even as we consider your word, for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It is hard to believe that this is the first Sunday of December. And I think this is the case because this feels like the year that never began. I don't know if you had that feeling that I was just waiting for it to begin and it has never really happened. You know, it was supposed to begin... Um, in March, and then it didn't, then, uh, you know, at the end of the spring, and then it didn't, and by the end of the summer, it didn't, and now it's uh, December, and uh, still hasn't quite begun. At the same time, is a year that feels like it began five years ago. I've had that, that uh, feeling as well, and, uh, you know, it doesn't seem it's going to end on December 31st either. <laughs> Just keep on, on going uh, into uh, 2021. This is the year that ultimately proves uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. Now, Einstein said that time uh, passes at different speed depending on the referent of the person. And 2020 really has proved that to be the case, that time has moved differently than it has at any other year of our lives. It is, though, the first Sunday of December, and it is, as it is our, our custom, you know, maybe every two out of three years, we go through a, an Advent series during this time of the year, and that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to try to do a, a, a straightforward, uh, 
and you're a pastor and you preach on Christmas every year and you do that for four Sundays, you tend to be, you try to be creative and you find passages that are not necessarily obviously about Christmas and you try to preach on them. Not this year. This year is going to be straightforward. Three messages from Luke. So we're going to start today with this message on, on Luke 1, 46 through 55. Next week, Lord willing, Pastor Lynch is going to preach on Zechariah's song. So today's Mary's song. Next week's is Zechariah's song. Then on the, the 20th, the third week of December, uh, we're going to consider, Lord willing, the song of the angels in heaven in Luke chapter 2. And then we're going to end, Lord willing, with Revelation 19, and it's the song of the saints in heaven around the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we're going to be considering the second advent of Christ. Now, advent, the word just means coming. So in Christians, we celebrate often the first coming of Christ, but we also should be looking forward to the second advent, the second coming of Christ. So that's the plan for us to do that this December. And as we think about the Advent season, we have to keep in mind that that there is very little indifference to this time of the year. Most people just love this time of the year. Some of them watch Elf every single day of December. I I was just, uh, somebody walked in and they told me that uh, their kids are so excited about their Christmas calendar that they opened five windows today of the Christmas calendar in one day. Now, one day is like five days to the young as, you know, it helps there's chocolate, I think, in every little window, so that uh, also helps the excitement uh, there. So some people are very excited about this time of the year. And a few people strongly dislike it, and there's very few people in between. You know, uh, <clears throat> a lot of you know Pastor Lehman, right? And Pastor Lehman says he dislikes Christmas very much. But I've never seen him turn away a present when it's given to him. So even that hatred of Christmas is not uh, super real even then. But it is a season of the year when there is an increased level of despair for some. It's a season of the year where loneliness becomes more evident to them. And I think it's going to be even greater this year because either self-imposed or government-imposed loneliness And the way we think about this season, for those who love it and for those who tend to become depressed at this time of the year, is the same. We tend to think that uh, happy people should think in a certain way and depressed people should think of a different way. That's not the case. We think we must think the same way. And it is the way that we're supposed to think about every season of life. Now, we, we we navigate this season that we're in and any season of life by looking to Christ and His Word. There's no difference whether you're at the, the heights of excitement and joy or at the bottom of the pit of despair. We navigate it by looking at Christ and His Word. And that brings us to the first Advent passage that we read this, this morning. Can you imagine how crazy Mary's life got all of a sudden? Have you ever thought about that? She is a young woman somewhere in her teens, somewhere between uh, probably Rebecca, Georgie, and Aubrey. That's about the age that Mary was at this time when she heard these things. And on an otherwise uneventful day, the angel Gabriel shows up to her and says, 
you're going to bear the Son of God. Think about that for news. You're going about your day, just regular, and an angel comes to you and says, you know what, your life is going to be turned upside down. You're going to bear the Son of God. And that's exactly what happened to Mary. Look at what it says in verses 30 through 33 of Luke 1. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And you will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. That's that's all that's going to happen to your life, Mary, is that in your mid-teenage years, you're going to bear the Son of God. And that wasn't just to be any old Son of God, but the one whom humanity have, has been waiting for since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because they fell into sin. That's it. That's the Son of God that you're going to be bearing here. The one that the entire world has been expecting for thousands of years. Since that moment where God gave us that first promise of the gospel. When he said that the seed of the woman was going to crush the serpent's head, Satan's head. And all that the serpent was going to do was nibble at his heel. And this is the son of who, this is son Mary that you're going to have is the son whom Israel has been hoping for since the times of Abraham since the time of Eve. Remember when Eve had Cain, she said, "This is the one. This is the one through whom God is going to bless me." Well, didn't prove that to be the case. And when Abel was born, she had the same attitude. Finally, she got somewhat right with Seth. Says through Seth's line that the Savior came. But every generation has been eagerly waiting in Israel for the one who is going to sit on the throne of David. And the angel comes to Mary and says, you are it. You are going to have this baby. And not only are you going to have the baby, bear the child, but even a more burdensome task, you're going to raise him. Can you imagine that? Be tasked with the raising of the Son of God? The one upon whom depends the salvation of the world? Can you imagine the weight that this young woman was bearing on her shoulders as she's going through this right now? I am going to raise the Son of God? In addition to all of that, this child is going to be divinely conceived. In Luke 1.35, it says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So picture this. Picture Mary having to tell her family that she's pregnant. And that the Father is the Holy Spirit. Now it almost sounds like the dog ate my homework sort of excuse. But that's the reality. And that's what she's going to be communicating to her family. We know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph was ready to end their engagement when he heard she was pregnant. And he would have done so if the angel had not shown up to him and said, No, she's telling the truth. She is pregnant with the child of God conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's where we find Mary. 
And knowing all that, Mary will submit to the Lord. In verse 38 of Luke 1, it says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, that it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Her life is going to be turned upside down. Everything is going to change. Now, have you ever had an event in your life that, that has done that? Where everything that you knew was changed? Where life was not going to be the way that you, are, you planned? Where you thought that uh, things were, were different and they're just not going to turn out the way you planned? That's where Mary is. Now we think of a great privilege and it was a great privilege for her to bear the Son of God. But there's a great burden that's gone with it as well. Now, before you get to the passage itself, there's lots of things that have gone that happened prior to getting to Luke 1, 46. We already saw that Jesus' birth had been announced to, to Mary by this point. We also saw that Joseph had tried to divorce her, but God told him not to. We saw that, and then when we read in our passage, starting in verse 39, we see that Mary went from Nazareth to a city in Judah to visit her older cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was Zechariah's wife, as you remember. And Zachari- they are the parents of John the Baptist. And uh, uh, Elizabeth is pregnant probably uh, by the time she gets to, Mary gets to her house, she's about three to six months pregnant with uh, John the Baptist. And the oddity of it is that she is probably in her 60s, Elizabeth is. So it's not a common pregnancy, you know, uh, and... and um, as we'd think of common pregnancy, pregnancies, uh, Zacharias has been dumb. I mean, he can't speak mute now for a few months because remember he doubted the, the angel of the Lord when he came to announce. And uh, he said, you're going to not be able to speak till this child is born. So she comes to visit Elizabeth. And I think some of it's to alleviate some of the pressures and burdens she's, she's having around her own family and uh, the place she lives, and she visits them. And I want you to notice it's somewhat off the beaten path to you, some that's not super part of this sermon. Maybe it would fit better in a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, but it must be said anyway. Notice in verses 41 through 44 that the very first person to recognize Jesus as Lord was a baby in the womb. Look at verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the, the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb, womb for joy. Did you get that? The first, very first person in the entire world to say Jesus is Lord, was an unborn child. And this is important because the argument about abortion has changed. It used to be that the argument was that that, that thing in the womb was not a human. Science has proven that that's just bogus, that, that there's no difference in the DNA between the child in the womb and the child outside of the womb. So the argument that that's not a human is not used anymore. But the argument now is that that's not a person. And there's a division now between what a person is what a human is. Peter Singer, the leading bioethicist at Princeton University, says that a human does not become a person to age eight. Therefore, any you can kill that thing any time prior to age eight because that's not a person. And yet, 
the first person to recognize Jesus as Lord was the unborn child in the womb. And that's important for us to keep in mind. And while visiting Elizabeth and encouraged by the words that Elizabeth had for her, Mary sings this song that we have before us today, a song that's often called the Magnificat because of the very first word in the original language translated into Latin, which in English is the third word in our translations, the word magnifies, which means to enlarge, to make great, and her soul is making God great. That's what she is doing in this song. In a time when Mary could have plunged into despair because the weight of the world was on her shoulders in, in, in very many ways, she rather chose to focus on the greatness of God and to declare the greatness of God. She could have despaired. Her life is not going to be like she planned. Things are going to change. People are going to turn her back, uh, their back on her. She's not going to get the things that she wanted. And, but instead of going into despair, she turns to God and says, You are great. And your word says that you're great. And so that's the one thing I want us to get from this today. God is great even in times when our lives are being turned upside down. God is great even when our lives are being turned upside down. When we read through Mary's song, we see the words of a humble woman. Notice that she says that she will be called blessed by generations, not because of whom she is, but because of whom God is. Look at verse 47 and 48, oh, 48 and 49. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And if you stop here, you think, Mary's bragging. Now, all generations are going to call me blessed. blessed. But look at verse 49. What's the first word? In Matthew, is the word for, or because. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me. Why are, is every generation going to call her blessed? Because God, who is great, has done this in me. Her song is not about herself. It is about her God, who will carry her through the difficult situation of bearing the Son of God and raising Him. And we see Mary's humility in her recognition that she needs a Savior. Look again at verse 47. And my spirit has rejoiced. So in this time in which her life has been turned upside down, where she had every reason to despair, humanly speaking, her spirit rejoices in what? In God, my Savior. She did not think of herself as perfect or sinless. She knew that apart from the grace of God, there was no difference between her and every other woman to ever live. She's just like every other woman, a sinner in need of a savior. That's who Mary, that's how Mary thought of herself. And it was interesting because Mary herself shoots a hole in the Roman Catholic doctrine of immaculate conception. The Roman Catholic Church today teaches that and that's the official dogma of the church, that Mary was also conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that she is sinless because of that. That's the doctrine of immaculate conception. It's interesting that doesn't apply, they don't use those terms to talk about Christ's conception, they use those terms to talk about Mary's conception. But Mary says, no, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I rejoice that I have God as my Savior, and that shows her humility. And she didn't regard herself as exalted above everyone else. Mary was likely from a poor family, 
of a very, of very little social standing. She lived in Galilee, in the little city of Nazareth. Galilee, sometimes I have to be careful when I say because these sermons are recorded and they go in public. But I guess you're the primary audience, so it doesn't really matter what people out there will think, right? But Galilee, it would be like we think of Kentucky or Tennessee. <laughs> Galilee would be like the Appalachian Mountains. Now, we think of them, I'm not saying they are, but we tend to think of them as backward people. Remember when uh, people find out that Jesus lived in Nazareth and said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? How can he be the, who he says he is? He is from Nazareth. That's where Mary is from. She, she, was found, she found herself in Bethlehem later on because of the census. Her family, David, their great, 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 whatever many greats, grandfather was from Bethlehem, so she had to go back there. But she was from Nazareth, away, far away from the hustle and bustle of uh, Jerusalem. You know, I don't know, what, what town in the state of Washington could we equate it to Nazareth? I don't know. Yelm? Maybe uh, okay. the Yelm folks are saying yes over there in the back. So, yes, it's like Mary's from Yelm. It doesn't add anything to who she is. She's a lowly estate. She was engaged to a poor man. And we know that because of the offering they bring to, when they go to the temple to dedicate Jesus. Remember what they brought? Two turtle doves. And the, the law of God tells us that's the, uh, the offering that the poorest of the poor bring in order to dedicate their child before the Lord there. She was the most unlike candidate to be the mother of the king of all creation. And she knew that. She's not going to be called blessed by all generations because she is Mary the Great. She's going to be called blessed by all the generations because she is the maidservant. Do you see that word there in verse 48? For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. That's nothing else but the word for a female slave. She says, I'm going to be called great because I am the slave of God. That's her stat. That's the status of greatness. The slave of God. The slave of the great God of all creation. And you see that, that in a moment where her life has been turned upside down, where things are going to change to the point that nothing is going to be normal anymore, where she could be grieving over a lost life. And that's, just, that's, what she's, that's what she's going through here. She's going to appear where she's losing her life, not literally, but in a very real way. She finds comfort in humility. Now often, not always, but often enough, depression and despair in our hearts come from a lack of humility. We think that we deserve better than what we are getting. We think that we deserve uh, what others have. We look around and see people with families, and we don't have a family around us, and we think we deserve that, therefore we are depressed. We see people with uh, prosperity around them, and we, we don't have what we think we should have, so we get uh, uh, depressed. But at the end of the day, and this is important for you to realize, it's important for all of us to realize, at the end of the day, we truly and honestly deserve nothing else than the pains of hell forever. That's what you deserve, and that's what I deserve. Anything different than that is the, mercy, the sheer mercy of God being demonstrated to us. That's it. Do you really want what you deserve? Is that what you, this Advent season should be about, what you deserve? 
That's what it is. Hell forever. It is the mercy of God that we experience anything else. Humility will help us realize that and we will take, it will take the edge off of depression and despair during this season. And when her life was being turned upside down, where did Mary turn to? She turned to the scriptures. In this short song, less, there's more references to the Old Testament than there are verses. There are 12 references to the Old Testament in this passage. And the whole passage is, is structured in the same way that the prayer of Hannah was in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. Mary knew her Bible, and when her life was about to end, as she knew it, what she do? She turned to God through the Scriptures. She knew her Bible, which indicates that she was a pious woman. Remember, she was a poor woman. She likely had to work hard at some sort of manual labor. She lived in the boondocks, in the middle of nowhere. But none of that kept her from knowing her Bible. She learned it in the synagogue. And remember, Bibles weren't easy to carry. People did not have Bibles back there to take home. Bibles were these huge, this, these huge scrolls that were kept at the synagogue. And yet, throughout the week, she would meditate and think, and perhaps her parents would talk about the Bible in their home, and the Bible saturated Mary. And you think about it, this is a good trait for the woman who is going to raise the Son of God to have. Do you realize that, that little Jesus learned about himself from Mary, as Mary shared the scriptures with him, he saw himself in that. We tend to think that Jesus learned everything divinely. But he was a man, and he learned like a man, and likely learned from his mother, and his mother was saturated with the Bible. And little Jesus saw himself as his mother unfolded the scriptures to him. It's often said that many souls are saved on a mother's knees. And we could say that many souls are saved in the mother's teaching as well. It also shows the importance of godliness and in, in Bible saturation in parenting. Think with me for a moment. If it was important for Jesus' mother to be godly and know the scriptures. Now Jesus was the perfect one. No parent could, could mess up that guy. Right? He was messed up proof. Doesn't matter. No matter how bad Mary and Joseph did, how much they sinned against Jesus, Jesus was not going to be messed up. And if it was important that the mother of Jesus was fluent and saturated with the scriptures, how much more it is for our kids who are bundles of sin. Right? Even little Julius, as cute as he is, mom and dad already know. He's a sinner when he wakes them up in the middle of the night when they want to be in bed. How much more important for you and I as parents to be saturated from the script, by the scriptures so that we can pour that into our kids? Mom, dad, when your kids poke you, Bible verses should come out. That not blood, but Bible verses should come out. As when your world is turned upside down, as Mary's world is, Bible verse. The Bible needs to come out. You need to be saturated from that. So, work hard at your job to provide materially for your children. Go on those memory-making vacations. Have an awesome Christmas. Uh, I, again, the same kid that opened the five things this morning told me 
what's new with your life? He said, Christmas is coming. Oh, indeed it is. It's coming. You have an awesome Christmas. But if you really are serious about your kids growing the Lord, immerse yourselves in the Bible. Immerse yourselves in the Bible. You can't, there's no greater gifts that you can give to them. Fill yourselves with the Scriptures as you parent your kids. It no matter really, uh, we are in different time of our parenting than the, the Andersons are in their parenting. And yet, the only hope Emily and I have is in the Scriptures. Parenting doesn't change. Now, our parenting is different than where Tilly and Jim are now, but their hope still is in the Scriptures. If we're serious about raising a next generation that's going to die for Christ, we need to be immersed in the Scriptures, just like Mary was. And that's where she found her, her hope. And Mary was able to praise God and rejoice in the God of her salvation because he knew her Bible. she knew her Bible. Think about this. When she goes to the temple, Simeon tells her, this child is going to live a life of suffering and a sword is going to thrust your heart. He didn't mean literally. But Simeon meant that Mary is going to suffer much because of the suffering of her own child. Her son died before she did. It's just there's something not natural about a parent seeing his or her child die before they do. And that's the experience that Mary knows she's going to face. And yet she's able to rejoice in her God when her life is turned upside down because she knew her Bible. She knew her God was good. She knew her God was gracious. She knew her God was faithful. And she knew that her God was great. A a Dutch theologian commentator um, comparing Mary's hymn with... uh, Elizabeth's word prior to Mary's says, Mary's hymn breathes a spirit of greater calm. And he says, the deeper the joy, the more restful is the heart. The deeper our joy is in Christ, the more restful is the heart when the life is turned upside down. Let me finish with at least five things that Mary rejoices in regarding the greatness, in regards to the greatness of God. She tells us, in verse 47, that her spirit rejoices in her God. And, in, and during this song, I think there are five things that she tells us. She rejoices in the grace of God. In verses 46 to 48, 46 to 48, she speaks about the grace of God in choosing her to be the mother of Jesus. We already saw that there was nothing in Mary that should have caused God to choose her for this task. Nothing. There's nothing that Mary... You know what? I think Mary is going to be better than Jenny because Mary... No, there was nothing of that. Mary was chosen to be the mother of the Son of God only and solely because the sheer grace of God. And that parallels our own salvation, doesn't it? There's absolutely nothing in us that caused God to look at us with favor and save us. God did not see you and said, man, I need that guy. I need that woman. Uh, Man, look at their gifts. I can do so much through them. No, he, he didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he chose us in spite of what he's seen in us. And we don't like that. But there's another side of that coin that should give us great encouragement. Because God did not choose us for any reason in us. 
There's absolutely nothing in us that will cause God to turn away from us since the standard is not who we are, but who God is. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's an absolute statement. Nothing. Because your standing before God has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ who stands before God every moment of every day, pleading for your soul. Do you get that? There's not one nanosecond of every moment of any day in which Jesus Christ is not before the Father saying, He is mine, she is mine, and I'm taking Him to eternity with with me. And there's nothing, if you're a believer, that you can do about that. So Mary rejoices because God is gracious. And we see His grace in choosing the humble, in verses 51 through 53. God and His Son will lift up the lowly and bring down the proud. Humble yourself before the sight of God and He will do what? He will lift you up. God despises the proud, but what does He do? Gives grace to the humble. And then it's interesting that that's in 1 Peter 5, and 1 Peter then, Peter then goes after that says, humble yourself before the Lord. And humble yourself by putting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. God and His Son will lift up the lowly and bring down the proud. And Mary found reason to rejoice in that, that that's the display of the grace of God. In an age... When identity is the ultimate thing, right? We're told to identify this way, and identify that way, and identify that way. Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, identifies Himself with the humble. And Mary knew that. Our our Lord Himself says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Our Savior Himself is lowly, and He identifies Himself with the lowly. If you're a proud person, that's not what God wants you to be. Humble yourself before Him, and let Him, let Him lift you up. She also found great joy in the power of God, in many omnipotency of God and the almightiness of God in verses 49, 51, and 52. And she tells us that God didn't choose the humble because He was powerless to choose anybody else. It wasn't that God says, oh, I'm going to choose this humble woman because, you know, there's this other powerful woman here that I just don't have the power to call her to myself. It's the opposite. God chooses the humble to show how powerful He is. Remember Gideon's story? Uh, how the Ammonites had come in, and Gideon's God picks him to go defeat the, Am- defeat the Ammonites. He puts a call out to the tribes of Israel, and thousands of warriors come, and he's marching towards the camp, and God says, wait, that's too many. And God, in essence, says, any coward can go home. Right? And was, which is interesting, because half of the troops go home. You know, you'd think that at least pride would keep you going, right? Uh, but half of the troops go home, and, and they keep on marching. God says, still too many. Go to the river. Whoever drinks straight out of the river, send them home. If people just go like this and lap out of the hand, then you choose them, and 300 of them are chosen. And God says, okay, that's just right. You go, these 300 soldiers are going to march against the hundreds of thousands of Ammonites that are um, camped down the valley. right? 
And then this is going to be the strategy, Gideon, so that you show that I'm, so that everybody can know that I'm the powerful one, not you. You're going to give everybody a flashlight and a pitcher. A lamp, a lantern, no, but we're going to call them flashlight. And you're going to go around, and you're going to just stand there, and when I say go, you're going to break your pitcher and wiggle your flashlight. That's how you're going to defeat hundreds of thousands of troops. And that's exactly what happens. God gives them the victory. So why does God choose the lowly? Why does God choose you? Why does God choose me? And make no mistakes, we are the weak and lowly. Because God chooses the weak things of this world to confine the wise. Not many strong, not many wise will be saved. And the fact that we are saved means that we are not part of the many. Right? We're part of the foolish ones. And why does God do that? To show that He has power. Right? There's a, chant, uh, there's a pastor in our uh, denomination that used to love to sing, to sing the song Channels Only. Now, I have some theological issues with the song, but it's true that all that we are, we're channels only for the power of God. He does what He does. And He sees fit to use foolish, weak, frail, ignorant people like you and like me. And Mary rejoices that that all-powerful God is the one in charge of turning her life upside down and changing everything about her. And she rejoices in the holiness of God. Verse 4, 9 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And we might not think of holiness as something that comforts us in difficult, difficult times, but a holy God will only do what is right. And that is comforting to us. No matter how upside down our life is, no matter how many losses we've had, they have come from the hand of a holy God. And that's comforting. I remember way back when, when Darren and Carol found out they were having twins. That would be Brandon and Kaylee. And uh, Hakel, I think, was three. And Jacob was one and a half. So kind of like Steve and Sarah in the back, more recent. Uh, uh, and I couldn't imagine how the world would be a turn upside down with three ki- four kids, three or younger. God is powerful. God is holy. And He's not going to send us through stuff that we can't handle. By His grace. It's true. We can't handle it. That's the point. We can't handle it. But God is gracious. And His holiness will not go into something that is not good. And then she finds great reason to rejoice in His mercy. Look at verse 50. And His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. God is merciful. Every time we take a breath, is the mercy of God. Because we don't deserve that breath. And that's just a display of His mercy. And even when our life is upside down, His mercy is present with us. Now Mary had a lot of reasons not to praise the Lord. She was a teenager who was pregnant without being married. She was poor. She had been commissioned to raise the Son of God without having any say on it. Her fiancé was trying to figure out a way to end the engagement. Yet, in the midst of this turmoil, the midst of her life being turned upside down, she found reasons to magnify the Lord. She found reasons to rejoice in her spirit. And her reasons were simple. His grace, His power, His faithfulness, His holiness, and His mercy. May God enable us to magnify Him like Mary did during this Advent season.
and that we might be able to rejoice in Him even when our lives are turned completely upside down. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you're a good God to us and that you have shown to us what it is to believe in Christ. We thank you that we can find great joy in that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.